0: You're listening to the Refined Hippie Podcast. Welcome, my lovely friends. I am your host, Rebecca Henson. Today's episode is on a subject that I am extremely passionate about. A while back, I did an episode called The Real Reason Why I'm Plant Based. I think it was around episode 14. And while I'm often spreading the science and health benefits of eating plant-based. The moral and ethical aspects have never been stronger for me. As my guest says in our interview later, once I removed the blocks, that's when I had a true awakening and was able to live my life truly aligned with the values that I already had in place. I just wasn't living according to them. But when I learned All of the information of what happens to these animals, um, that was one of the biggest reasons that I am very passionate now about animal rights. Because I can't unlearn things that I've seen and I've read. And I cannot willingly participate in something that is so clearly absolutely wrong. So that being said, if you're listening, you might already be plant-based. You might be on the verge or maybe just wanting to be healthier or not quite there or wanting to eat more plants. So I implore you to explore and learn all you can about these industries, how your meat gets to your plate, because it's going to be one of the main pillars and foundation to continuing living this lifestyle and also becoming passionate about it. I mean, you don't have to become some animal rights activist, you know, going up to Washington and protesting, but I do believe that when we are educated on the true nature of what's happening, you gain a whole new enthusiasm for, you know, spreading the knowledge that's going to benefit the whole planet because the impact of these industries play in the health of the planet is huge as well as our own. And of course the animals. So, before we get to my joyful guest, I just want to go over some of the vegan news happening right now. So Congress just passed a bill last week making certain types of animal cruelty a federal felony. So the key word here is certain. So when this came out, there was so much applaud and everyone was so happy and excited on social media. And this is certainly a huge victory. I'm not saying that it's not. But we have a long way to go. So the PACT Act, P-A-C-T, which stands for Preventing Animal Cruelty and Torture Act, has quite a few exemptions. Um, basically, this bill is, is only covering companion animals. So dogs, cats, um, your typical animals that you... And I probably live, live with in our house. So the exceptions, this is directly from congress.gov. The exceptions for this bill. So A, the customary and normal veterinary agricultural husbandry or other animal management practice. B, the slaughter of animals for food. C, hunting, trapping, fishing, a sporting activity not otherwise prohibited by federal law. Predator control or pest control, D. Medical or scientific research, E. Necessary to protect the life or property of a person, or F. Performed as part of euthanizing an animal. So you can see that's quite a lot of exemptions here. Um, pretty much ninety-nine percent of the the uh, the pain and torture that's happening. In this country, is still being allowed because that's pretty much everything that I just listed, and you know our companion animals make up a a small fraction of what kind of pain is being inflicted on the animals in this country. So it's disheartening when you read all of those exemptions and just imagine that yeah, these animals aren't protected at all. They have no protection from being tortured because that's what this PACT Act is, preventing animal cruelty and torture. So so it basically says that, yes, you can continue torturing and inflicting pain upon all of these creatures, just not this small little section. So you can see why. It's a little upsetting for me. Um, but again, just glad that, you know, there's some kind of movement in uh the government for these kind of things. So another victory for the animals has been in California, which has become the first United States state <laughs> to ban the sale and manufacture of new fur products. So they're also the third state to bar most animals from circus performances. So the fur ban will begin in 2023. And of course, this is a big victory for the fur industry uh, creatures because it certainly is one of the most cruel industries around. I mean, they all are horrible in their own right. But um, just Google fur industry and look up the pictures and see for yourself. So I hope that others will follow suit from this. Um, This is not, of course... Cover the sale of vintage furs because you know those are not new, those were already been around. So, I personally do have a couple of vintage furs lying in a drawer in my house because I don't know what to do with them. I am not going to go out there and wear them because I just wouldn't feel right about that, but I also don't want to donate them because I don't want other people to wear them and condone the the, you know, wearing of real fur. So they're just in a drawer, but I have read that there are places, I think maybe the Humane Society, different sanctuaries I think will take in used furs um, to use as bedding for some of their little creatures. So I'm going to look into that. Uh, Shoot me a message if you have an idea of what to do with vintage furs. That would be helpful um, for some little creatures. But I was reading a stat on chinchilla furs. So one chinchilla fur coat takes 150 chinchillas. Have you seen a chinchilla? Oh my gosh, they are so precious. Yeah. 150 of them to make one fur coat. And I thought about this the other day because, you know, I have two kitties. They are extremely beautiful and have beautiful fur. And especially my, my white kitty, Eva Snow has beautiful white fur and honestly, like every time I pet her, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, your fur is so soft." So I just imagine, let's say, you know, Eva Snow is probably twice the size of a chinchilla because they're pretty small, right? So what if someone had a fur coat made of 75 Eva Snows? <laughs> it's crazy. It's like Cruella De Vil. Like, why are we still doing this? They, th- we had 101 Dalmatians that that movie, right? What is the difference between a Dalmatian jacket and a chinchilla jacket? There's nothing different. It's messed up. So it's pretty exciting. Um, a lot of state a lot of cities have already done it. A lot of countries around the world are banning the sale of fur of new furs. so I look forward to a time when that is completely a thing of the past because come on people, it's almost 2020. We do not need to wear the fur of other animals, unless you're, you know, in some remote Arctic land where you don't have stores and I don't know, (laughs) you know, I mean, yeah, that would be a totally different case. So with that being said, let's come to my guest today, who is all about the animals. So today's guest has been a vegan for over 20 years. She is a huge animal rights activist. She has been promoting veganism and plant-based living and healthy living for over two decades and is promoting a joyful, happy vegan lifestyle and even has her newest book titled that, The Joyful Vegan. Colleen Patrick-Goudreau, lives in Oakland, California, and started her path to this lifestyle, like many of us, by reading and learning about the animal agriculture industry, which totally shifted everything that she thought she knew, and she basically changed her life overnight, and now is an advocate for plant-based eating, speaker, commentator, podcaster, and award-winning author of seven books. She's helped thousands of people transition and navigate this world while being vegan. We chat about her awakening, her transition into this lifestyle, and some of the main struggles that people experience. We also talk about how to stay vegan within our communities and finding your voice and some of the main myths surrounding veganism. Colleen gives us some good advice on how to navigate the holidays, which are coming up, and how to stay true to ourselves and our compassionate beliefs. So, without further ado, here's my interview with the lovely and joyful Colleen Patrick Goudreau. Hi, Colleen. Hi, Rebecca. Hi, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. This is pretty exciting. Um, I have been following you, I think, I don't know, maybe like six months to a year, but you were act- actually supposed to come down to Hilton Head Island, which is just south of where I am. I'm in Charleston, South Carolina, to speak at our VegFest, but it got canceled because of rain. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was so disappointing. I feel so bad for especially the organizers, oh my gosh, but it no. was such a disappointment.
0: I know. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's like a whole year of planning and no. obviously everybody gets, I don't think, you know, close by to me, it's pretty much the only veg fest or, you know, uh, vegan right. festival. So that was a huge, a huge yeah. moment. But yeah. Yeah, they're they've had a lot of really good guests. I mean, like you were gonna come and like a few years ago they had Gene Bauer. Um yeah, so they they do a good job in you know, picking their speakers, but hopefully mm. they can get you to come back another year. <laughs> I yeah, hope
1: so. And I'm yeah. hoping to do something with them, just some kind of live Facebook event with folks who are in the area who would have come. So, so hopefully we can come back uh, or I can come back and we can arrange something, but they're yeah. fantastic organizers and uh, I'd love to work with them. Again. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They're awesome. Uh, Carla, is that Carla? Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. I love her. She's yeah. great. Yeah. Um. So I, I, but I've been reading a little bit about your story because I love, to, so whenever I have a guest, I I call it an origin story and because I love to hear people's, you know, background of how they got to where they are today. And I've read a little bit about yours. So you are originally from New Jersey mm-hmm. and your parents had um, ice cream shops <laughs> when you were growing well, up. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you were similar to most of us who, you know, did not grow up eating uh, vegan. (laughs) I would say 99% (laughs) of us did not grow up that way. Uh, So what is your, what's your story? Like, how did you, you know, get to where you are today?
1: Mm, gosh, I feel like I've told this so many times. It's boring. I'm sure you to have. Me.
0: I know. <laughs> it's boring to me, but I
1: the reason I tell it, and actually, uh, in in my new book, I it's the introduction. It is the first part of the book, and I and I include it because not because I think my story is so amazing, but because I think it's so ordinary, and it's so important for me to relate to other folks and to, well, to relate to other folks that my story is no different than theirs and for them to relate to me. And so that's why I do tell the story. It's just boring to me. But, (laughs) you know, so in that I was just like everybody else, nothing different about me. I wasn't, I didn't grow up with, you know, animal advocates for parents, not even close. Uh, They weren't necessarily even animal people. My mother really wasn't an animal person. I mean, even to this day, I mean, I'd have to kind of Shove my cats in her face to be like, look, they're (laughs) cute. They're so cute. She didn't really, really care. And that's fine. I mean, not everybody is an animal lover. Perhaps it's the one thing that makes me, you know, my story is that I really was an animal lover. And, you know, I've said a number of times, you don't have to love animals to not want to hurt them. And, in my case, I actually did love animals and do love animals, so in that way, and maybe for some people, they go, "No, I don't really care about animals or I don't really want to hang out with them or be in their presence, but I obviously don't want to hurt them and you know that's that's the criterion for me that that that's fine. But I did love animals, I loved being around them. you know I don't have that many stories, but when i you know whenever I saw any kind of need for intervention my I was very empathic, and I very quickly felt their suffering, felt their pain and wanted to do something about it. And to be honest, I mean, that's the case with anybody who would be suffering or it needed Mm -hmm. me, someone I, I remember, I remember some schoolmates who were being bullied and that always just made me really uncomfortable to see anybody who was vulnerable being in any way intimidated or hurt. So it was definitely in my nature to want to intervene. And that was the case with, with certain animals when I was a child. And so I was very much that kid. And I remember talking to him. I mean, I remember my, 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 I remember so vividly, I must've been seven or six. We went to see Benji, and I tell this in the in the story. Oh. And I don't know if anybody who remembers Benji, but Benji was the, oh, I do. You remember yeah, Benji? Great. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah, oh one of my favorite my movies. God. Sure. I loved that movie. And it's a story of this basically this homeless dog who enamors himself to this family, and the kids of course love him and feed him and want him, but the father doesn't want to bring in this stray, and mm-hmm. and and so he he basically proves himself a hero. And so the father has a change of heart, but it's really, it's very sweet because there's some moments in it where there's, you know, some uh, animal cruelty and not even that severe, but enough that I was sobbing so hard in the theater. My mother had to bring me out. Like it was, it was that bad. And I still get that way. There are movies that I have watched over as an adult, And it's the same, my Mm -hmm. husband could tell you, it's been the same experience where I, it's so painful and I'm like tearing up thinking about some of them. It's ridiculous. So I was that kid and, 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 and I didn't know I was also contributing to animal cruelty by eating them. I was a kid. I didn't know my parents were raising me that way, like all of us, and they weren't doing it to spite me. They weren't doing it to hurt me. They were doing it because (laughs) that's all they knew. And Mm -hmm. I didn't know. And so when, so I, you know, I went on, developed a taste like we all do for all of it, for the flat fat and, and, uh, and, 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 and texture for, you know, animal flesh and secretions, right. loved my chicken nuggets and loved meat oh, yeah. and loved dairy. I mean, again, I grew up with an, I literally, we had a second freezer just for tubs of ice cream we had a hot chocolate making machine. We had a shake maker All at the house. Obviously I would have had access to the stores too, but so, so there was no dearth of animal products in our house. And I, yet I didn't know. And so when I was, Mm. I, I, Nineteen, I think I was working at a bookstore at the time. I think that's what compelled me to pick up Diet for a New America, which was John Robbins is John Robbins' mm-hmm. book about the negative effects of meat, dairy, and eggs on our health, on the environment, and on the animals. And I was gobsmacked, just floored at mm-hmm. what I read, at what I saw, at what I realized I was contributing to. And I very instinctively just said I don't want to be part of it and I stopped eating land animals. So I didn't make the connection at the time mm-hmm. with dairy and eggs and and the violence that's imposed upon the animals who are raised for eggs and dairy even though I know that's what most of us mm-hmm. you know we don't think that's the case but it is. So I stopped eating land animals and that began a journey of, you know, becoming an animal advocate to be honest. I started looking at other issues even oh. though I was still eating dairy and eggs. I started looking at vivisection. I started looking at puppy mills. I started looking at uh, all these other ways that we exploit animals and became kind of my own little animal advocate in New Jersey by myself, not knowing anybody else uh, before the internet. And so, yeah, I have some cute stories of me like walking around the mall where there was a puppy store, a dog, you know, whatever. A a pet yeah. store and, uh, and with flyers and leaflets and I had no permit to do that. Wow. You know, the That's awesome. so I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I just wanted to like raise awareness. <laughs> 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 yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. So, so I, so that was part of my story, but I still wasn't vegan. And, uh, and I'm sure yeah. I made the same excuses that most, most of us do, and then several years later, uh, my husband and I moved to, well, he wasn't my husband at the time, we moved to California and I, I read, an you know, I, I was reading other books at the time, but I read uh, Slaughterhouse and it was uh, mm. the book that just completely knocked me into consciousness. It's by an investigative journalist, mm-hmm. uh, Gail Eisnitz. And so she was interviewing, she interviews Slaughterhouse workers and wow. What struck me, and and it, and it informs my work to this day, was not necessarily just that the animals are brought in and endure the violence and the horror of a slaughterhouse. Like, we all know that. Like, I don't even have to say any more than just people can use their imaginations to know what that looks like. But what was Mm -hmm. more striking was the torture they inflicted upon the animals because they could, because they were in a culture Mm -hmm. of violence, because this was unchecked violence, because no one was monitoring them, because they were desensitized. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these were human beings who I know felt remorse. Some of them probably didn't, but the majority do. But they have to stuff it and they have to literally Mm -hmm. mask it through alcohol, through drugs, through just bravado. Right. And so it was that culture of violence that I realized was endemic. You can't take that out of a system that brings animals into this world in order to kill them. And so I, oh. it was the light bulb that went off and I became vegan. And I often say that I didn't become vegan as much as I removed the blocks to the compassion that was already inside of me. It was that awakening that then just changed everything for me. And, uh, and that was 20 years ago.
0: Wow. That's amazing. I mean, I feel like, you know, at me as a kid, for sure, it was that same way. And, and I think I had to watch one of your videos that it said something about, um, you had said that you had maybe wanted to be a veterinarian or or something mm-hmm. that that had come up, and that was me too. I mean, mm-hmm. I have always had this you know obvious connection for animals, that even when I was a small little kid. And and every all my family thought I was going to be a veterinarian, and I did not grow up to be that. Obviously, um, because I, I think it would be hard <laughs> to uh, mm-hmm. to see all these sick animals, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never made the connection, and I really rationalized like a lot of us have done, or maybe still do, that you know this. This, uh, this picture of this, you know, beautiful pasture and, you know, it's all the marketing mm-hmm. and the propaganda behind it that you are, that you, you, and you also think that, which we've been told that they are here for us, these specific animals, mm-hmm. um, these specific species and just the disconnect. And for me, I mean, my, my awakening was, you know, the documentaries that thankfully have come out in the past decade, uh. I think mine was Cowspiracy Mm -hmm. and I was just, I had no clue. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And I never put those connections, Mm -hmm. you know, together. But I always was weirded out by meat. (laughs) I was like Mm. this, I would pick through it, you know, and people would make fun of me because I'd leave half my food on the plate because I was just like weirded out by all the textures. And if there was like cartilage in it, because it reminded me, I suppose, that it was, you know, once a living being, you know? Right. Um. But I think, you know, I think uh, for you, and I know you've probably said this before or you've gotten this before because people, when I think of somebody who was vegan like, you know, 40 years ago or 20 years ago or 10 years ago, that that it's gotten easier Mm -hmm. is what they say, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that what's gotten easier is just like the information, you know, because Mm -hmm. people, you know, it's just such a a lifestyle. It's such a big lifestyle change Mm -hmm. and any lifestyle change is hard. Mm -hmm. And I think that having – you know, the tools that we have now and the access to information does make it easier, right? Absolutely. I you know, I, I tend to push
1: back a little bit about that because <laughs> from a food perspective, and all, I mean, there's a lot to say around it because from a food right. perspective, you know, you're eating plant foods. Like there were plant, like there've been right. vegetables and yeah. fruits and nuts and grains and seeds and legumes and lentils Forever. and beans. Like we've had food, right? So yeah. it's not like 20 years ago. That yeah. You didn't have it. 2001. <laughs> like this wasn't, yeah. you know, yeah, I know. I know. And I know you're not, yeah. you know, I'm not, I'm not, it's not, this is just what the, I think overall perception is that like, Oh my God, yeah. it must've been so totally. difficult we had food. So from that perspective, but like, look, look convenience f- foods and, right, yeah. you know, eating out and it being easier to just say like, Hey, can you just, you know, I mean, I always was someone who was just like, Hey, take this thing off, put this thing in and make it good. <laughs> right. And most yeah. people will accommodate you, but yeah. certainly being able to, you know, to, that it's a lot easier, but I mean, even so, I mean, frankly, I think I enjoyed it even more because You know, I'd go to a restaurant and say, Oh, could you take the parmesan off of that pasta? And hey, why don't you toast some nuts and and, Mm. and sprinkle those on instead? Because that's just going to give me the same fat and salt that yeah. the cheese would, right? So I always, you know, kind of innovated. You were like opening their eyes. Yeah, They're like, what? sure, And the chefs were like, like, "Oh my god, I never thought of that." And I'm like, "Yeah, like that's yeah. what it is. It's fat and salt." Yeah. So, right. so from a food perspective, yeah, convenience perspective, sure, yes, because there's more commercial products that's actually not only enabling vegans but actually non-vegans to eat fewer animal products. That's the yeah. best part is that it's it's, totally. it's going to be easier for people who don't want to become vegan, but just don't want to eat animals. And that might be the beginning of their journey to eliminating right. even more animal products. But mm-hmm. what I do think is spot on is like I said, there was no internet. So in terms of information access, I'm going to, I'm going to say something really dated. I went to the library <laughs> I love libraries yeah. and I, went to- I love libraries still. I mean,
0: <laughs> so yeah, there
1: wasn't the internet, but again, right. this is just hilarious to me because it was 2001. This wasn't, this wasn't the middle ages, but I went to no, I know.
0: the yeah. library
1: and there were bookstores and I got, you know, what was available and in the, in the joyful vegan, I talk about what, specific resources I did find, which books and which videos, like I had found out the Diet for New America had been made into a documentary and I was thrilled. So, you know, I'm for PBS. And so there were, there were those resources, but of course there's so much more today. And there's so much, there's so much easier to access. And more than that, Mm -hmm. there's such an, it's so much easier to connect with other like-minded people. I literally Mm -hmm. didn't know any other Vegetarians yeah. or vegans, and yeah. uh, even when we became vegan, I very quickly kind of got into the community that was here in uh, in Oakland in the Bay Area. So that that mm-hmm. was that happened, and that's what I recommend yeah. for everybody. But I do think that what is the and you said it what is the crux that makes it hard for anyone at any time? I don't care who you are, how old you are, when it happens, where you live, if it happened in. The Middle Ages, or it happened today. um, (laughs) If it happened in the Middle Ages in 2001, or if it happened today, um, (laughs) is that change is hard. Yeah, and we are social creatures, and we don't like being outside of the status quo, and we don't like not having a sense of belonging, and and all of that makes. The ch- just the transition difficult. And I'm convinced that's right. one of the reasons people say, don't tell me, not just oh, because it's not pretty to look at, but because they know they will be compelled to change. And it's the change that they have no idea about. They don't know how it's going to impact them. They don't know what it's going to look like. They don't know how it's going to change the relationships. They don't know. It's the unknown that people are afraid of. And so that's why I've always focused on helping people through the transition, helping them with the how. People know why. That's why they say, don't tell me. They know there's something really Mm -hmm. unpleasant and ugly about it or unhealthy or whatever. They know that. What they don't know, what they struggle with is literally... The how. And so that's hard. You know, change is hard if you're 50, if you're 80, if you're 15, because habits are instilled by the time Mm -hmm. we're five. I mean, so it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter how old you are. People say like, oh, I'm 50, I'm 60, I'm 70. I could never change. You can't change, you know.
0: Can't it's, teach an old dog new
1: tricks. Right, but thing. it's not yeah. harder if you're 50 than if you're 50. Like, be, like behavior modification experts won't say, yeah, um, habit changes. If you're 15, it takes they take three weeks. But if you're if you're <laughs> 70, they take four months. That's not right. what they say. It's the same <laughs> time period, um, yeah. and that is just a matter of you being committed, being willing to do some things differently, look in a different direction, and 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 accept and look for help that's what i think is the universal timeless challenge for for anyone is is behavior change but that's solvable because of resources like the work that i, I do, do the work that you do and the work that so many of us are doing
0: yeah so then that's one reason then i would say that it is slightly easier today is because mm-hmm. then there it it is more what you would say like mainstream and you're not going to be I mean, if I knew no one in my hometown, I went, I grew up in a small town in South Carolina, like in the South. So I didn't know anybody who was a vegetarian or vegan. I don't Mm -hmm. even remember hearing that word. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think if I had been, you know, had some kind of connection with somebody like that, I probably, maybe I'm just thinking that I would have thought about it more and maybe I would have changed, you know, but there was no one. Mm -hmm. So, and now I have a whole group of friends, you know, that we get together for our veggie supper clubs. And, but yeah, like if you don't have that, then it makes it that much more difficult. Mm -hmm. I think
1: for sure, for sure.
0: And making, making those connections. I mean, I literally had a conversation with somebody yesterday who she, she knows, I mean, she hasn't seen the videos. She hasn't researched a lot, but she knows that it's bad, but she doesn't want to look into it because she's afraid of not being able to eat out anymore. Basically, right? You know, right. but but and again, I found it to be. I mean, I live in a city, thankfully, that has a lot of options. I mean, you are in de- anywhere in California. I feel like is a great place to well, be not anywhere a no, vegetarian vegan no, coast for no, well, not anywhere, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> definitely more than South Carolina. Let's for just sure. say that, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. or the South. I mean, this place is known for its heavy heavy meat consumption and heavy disgusting uh very unhealthy food. Yeah. So um but I do live in a place that there are a lot of options. Um so I haven't felt well I mean sometimes I do mm-hmm. feel mm-hmm. <laughs> I feel that. Um But I mean so what do you think uh, the number one s- struggle then is is socially then, right?
1: Yeah, it is yeah. finding the balance between embracing your autonomy and your individuality while still being part of community. And so it is being able to find your voice and learn how to communicate and speak up for what you believe in without doing it in a way that's going to ostracize you from the rest of your community. And that means you're like specifically, obviously, initially, it is the non-vegan community with whom you live. I'm assuming most of them are not vegan, right? Your family members, your closest the people you live with, spouses, partners, uh, parents, children. Uh, so whatever mm-hmm. it is, like that's, that's the initial social circle. But honestly, it also means um, – being able to find that community, like-minded community among other vegans. But just because someone's vegan doesn't necessarily mean you're gonna be compatible. Right. So That's so yeah. the truth is it's so it's a matter of constantly finding that balance between again I mean it, your autonomy and knowing that you can step out of the status quo and still have relationships. And that takes practice, it takes awareness, it takes learning skills to do that because a lot of it's communication and a lot of it's just perception. Because what happens is we tend to start compartmentalizing who we are and who everybody else is, right? So I try to really Mm -hmm. emphasize that, you know, yes, I'm I'm vegan, but I am also you know I, i'm a citizen i'm a i'm a neighbor i'm a friend i'm a i'm a daughter i'm a you know so i'm i'm all right. i have all these other identities as well and i don't want to be just be boxed into just like i'm that and you're not
0: and you're over there right. Right. I mean, yeah you're over here and i'm exactly. over exactly and we tend
1: yeah. to do that because we do tend mm-hmm. to talk about our friends and family and neighbors as just not vegan we just you know that's mm-hmm. how we categorize them and how we characterize them and so i So for me, being vegan is the manifestation of my deepest values. I'm vegan Mm -hmm. because it's a means, it's a way to reach my goal of doing the best I can to not hurt anyone, including myself in terms of wellness, right? But that's not why I became vegan. I became vegan because I didn't want to hurt anybody. That's my goal. My goal isn't, to be vegan. My goal isn't to be the best vegan I could be. My goal is to be the best person I could be and the most compassionate person I could be. And veganism is the way to get there. So yes, being yes. vegan is like a, it is a huge part of my identity because my identity is to be a compassionate, kind, conscious, thoughtful, thinking person. So my point is, if I identify that way, then I can look at other people and say, well, they're also... You know, they're also good people. They're just not manifesting, fully manifesting the values that they have. They're good, kind, compassionate mm-hmm. people, too. I thought of myself as a compassionate person before I became vegan. I didn't, I didn't like, I wasn't like not compassionate and now I'm compassionate. I'm just right. fully compassionate, like, you know, kind of unconditionally or just awake to the fact that I have to be mindful of where I might be contributing to harm and where I, I might not mm-hmm. be. So that's what I think is the real task for all of us is to, is to find that balance between our autonomy and our community.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, that goes back to obviously before pre your veganism life, you were not a bad person. You just didn't have the education or the knowledge of what was even going on. Right. I think that that's, that's a main issue for anybody i I watch a lot of you know Earthling Ed mm-hmm, sure. Earthling mm-hmm. Ed is that what his name is yeah so he does all of these debates he'll like go to different uh different universities and like set up a table and get different college kids to come and talk to him you know and whatnot and and one of them I think was was about the morals and are you you know, an unethical person Mm -hmm. if you're not vegan. And I think to me, it's like, well, if you don't know, if you're, if you're completely ignorant to it, let's say you have no idea, like you really have no clue. Like it's not, it's not like you're sticking your head in the sand and you're saying, I just don't want to know. Maybe you haven't even Mm -hmm. thought about it. You know, I mean, that doesn't make you a bad person, but you know, once you are aware of the atrocities that are happening, I feel like, um, once you have that awareness, it definitely shifts mm-hmm. your mind and maybe you don't do it right away, but it still is kind of in your subconscious or like plant, it's like planting mm-hmm. a seed, mm-hmm. you know, cause it's hard to do anything overnight. And this is why I'm saying like lifestyle changes are hard and sometimes you have to gradually, you know, gradually ease mm-hmm. into it. For right. For sure.
1: For sure. I mean, so, I mean, yeah. I have, you know, the 30 day vegan challenge is meant to say, not because no one does this overnight. We all have had right. seeds that have, yeah. were planted over time and then we are awakening came. So I could say that I became vegan overnight and I did. I mean, it really was when I read that book, but that was because some people, yeah, for prior sure. Prior yeah. to that, I had been, I had, you know, I stopped eating land animals. I was still eating fish though. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'd read this right. book, but I had done this. I mean, so it was still part of this journey. I didn't, it wasn't just like it, it it's not in a vacuum, is my point. Mm-hmm. And so what my, what I my hope is for for anyone listening or anyone who struggles or anyone who just says nope I don't want to know I'm good is just be open and ask mm-hmm. questions and you know I always say that I'm not asking anyone to live according to my values and my ethics I'm urging people to live according to their own. So if they examine, like, what do I care about and who am I and how do I want to live in this world? And some of the answers come up saying, well, you might have to do this differently, then be open to that and seek out the information. And then certainly, I mean, it happens in stages. It happens in steps. But I do the 30-Day Vegan Challenge because there is evidence that, you know, when we make little baby steps, we don't really accomplish the goals we set out to do. We have to kind of Mm. do something all all in to really it's see drastic. the benefits. And that's mm-hmm. why I think the 30 day vegan challenge is so powerful for people because it, it forces you to say, I'm not going to do this for a certain amount of time. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be open to creating a new foundation because if you just say, I'm going to eat less meat, you go to the next event, you go to the next dinner, you go to the next oh, restaurant and you gosh. go, yeah, I'll do no. it tomorrow. But if you're doing something like a challenge, like a 30-day time period, you go, I'm going to have some – meat. wait, no, hang on. I'm doing this challenge. What else is there to order? What else can I get? And you're kind of challenged by like – you know what else can i do so that's why i think it's really powerful and then by the end of that 30 days you've developed new skills and new habits that you necessarily you wouldn't necessarily have done had you not making that commitment for that time period and then what i find is that people then have created a foundation uh, on which to stand yeah. and they keep going
0: and they feel better too for you know sure. a lot of i mean a lot of time if you're eating the right foods i mean i know some people can <laughs> I've heard of people doing it the wrong way and they just eat romaine lettuce and, and then you're starving to death. So For
1: sure. I mean, but that's the thing. That's why I tell people before the taking the challenge is to get your blood work done, you know, do the, yeah. take the tests where you can actually measure the markers. And so that's exciting and empowering right. for people. So when they see that their dietary cholesterol goes down, their blood sugar is regulated, yeah. like when they see those numbers, it's really empowering for people. and uh, And I think it's for important sure. for them to experience that and see that.
0: Yeah. I think doing a challenge is really awesome. So my husband, before I met him, he did his yoga teacher training and the school that he, that he, or the yoga studio that he did it from encouraged them to, to not eat meat for, you know, the duration of their uh, program. And so, I mean, he was like, well, if I'm going to do this, I should, you know, do it all the, go all the way. Right. So for three months, he was a vegetarian. Mm -hmm. This was you know, I think that's what they encouraged. Um, and he felt, but he felt so good after the three months that he stuck with it for two years. But what ended
1: up I have to find out the name of this yoga school because I have another <laughs> friend whose story is exactly that. And I think she's, she's from either Georgia or South Carolina. Oh really? And so this could very well be the same yoga teacher training, which oh, awesome. is brilliant. Yeah. The
0: same exact story.
1: And that's then she awesome. became vegan and she's still vegan
0: yeah well he ended so he was he was a vegetarian for two years and he ended up falling off the wagon for social social reasons he Mm -hmm. he was living out in Hawaii at the time and I think he just felt uh you know kind of isolated I guess and then he moved back to Charleston and uh, and this was you know 10 years ago I think and he just uh, fell back um and then when I started my journey I mean he had already he had already obviously then had dabbled in it before because people are always like oh did you make him become a vegan and I'm like no (laughs) No. he just followed suit I mean I was learning and obviously then I was telling him what I learned or we were watching documentaries together and you know like I said he'd already done it before and felt so good so and I mostly cook so he was eating my food (laughs) I'm like I'm not cooking you if you want stuff like that and and his was slow too it was like you know maybe you know we we didn't have meat in the house right and that was the thing, and maybe he'd eat it when we went out to eat, and then slowly he just stopped ordering it, and then, and now, and I'm—I will say he's not totally vegan in that he eats oysters, and sometimes shrimp, but we'll see. Maybe eventually, you know, we'll get him all oh the God. way.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a journey. We're all on a journey.
0: Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that. Um. So the yoga studio that he was at uh, is called Holy Cow. It's really cute. Oh, okay. I'll ask yeah. my friend. Yeah. you should ask her. I will. Yeah, because a lot of them do not. I mean, I think. Oh, that's the only one that I know. That was one of the original yoga studios here in Charleston. Um, but a lot of them don't really encourage that. But I know yeah. in like the true yoga fashion, and and he could tell you the name of it. There's some name for it, which means like purity or something, like cleansing. Okay. And that's why they encourage you not to eat meat because they say it's, you know, cleaner. Um, right. Okay. So. I'll ask her. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that that's, I mean, like for him and like, you know, we've already said like socially, it can be. It can be challenging, but I think it can also be challenging in a fun way. Like, let's say you have like a dinner to go to and it's like a potluck. Then you bring something really delicious that's vegan and then everybody tries it and they're like, wow, like what? There's no dairy in this? And you're like, no, there's none. <laughs>
1: exactly. I mean, the way, look, there's go, there's always going to be, you know, people responding badly or people responding well. I mean, we yeah. can't control that, but I do yeah. think that the more we orient to positive obviously joyful yeah. uh, compassionate and just you know just just making it fun and just not making it such a just an again us versus them I, the right. way we orient does affect how other people respond and not always cuz again you're going to have some people who are going to be grumpy and they're not going to want to hear <laughs> they're not going to want to try the food it's fine right. but the way we orient are, you know, when we show up is, makes a huge difference. I mean, I've, I've used the example before. If we go to a restaurant and we're in a restaurant and we say, hi, I'm going to be kind of the pain in the butt. I'm the one mm-hmm. who's vegan. And I know this is going to mm-hmm. be a pain, but can you tell me if you have any, like, as soon mm-hmm. as you have that kind of self-effacing apologetic attitude, and that's, that's, that's pretty mild, right? I mean, that's not even being grumpy or angry, It's right. being like self-effacing. Oh, right. That affects how even the server will hear it. Like, yeah. oh okay, god, Okay. Right. What is it? Versus, hi, I'm vegan. I've, I've been here before. You guys have done a fabulous job. I know that you can do this thing vegan. And it looks like on this menu, you've got some veggies and pasta. Can you like throw some together for me? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean that kind of, difference that attitude makes such a huge difference versus being self-effacing so so even mm-hmm. just the way we orient in in these minor situations makes a difference in terms of the interactions we have but also in terms of like what the goal is which is just to get a good meal right just to yeah. eat <laughs> and to be filled and to get what you're paying for. Yeah. So it it, it and to it, still be able to enjoy,
0: you know, company with your friends and your family.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then they see it. And you are a model for them. I mean, look, I know we've all been in this situation. We don't always love being the center of attention. We don't always love like, you know, going to a restaurant and making it look like it's, you know, it's difficult to order. The thing is, it's I don't and I'm we're very similar because I'm the same way. I don't I don't see that it's difficult or challenging. I actually see that it's fun. Because what also happens is that most people, most people do not know you can order off the menu. Most people right. are surprised when you say, hey, could you put some pine nuts on my pasta and can you give me some extra veggies and 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 use veggie broth instead? Like, and then you get this delicious dish and theirs is just the same thing that like the chef has been making again and again and again. And you get yours and they go, I didn't know you could do that. That looks amazing. Uh-huh. I want to do that next time. So you really are a model and an inspiration. Yeah. And, you, and like I said, you know, before with just even suggesting to the restaurant that, okay, you might not have a commercial non-dairy cheese, but what about some nuts that you can pulse in the food processor, toast and, uh, and add some salt to that does inspire even the people working in the restaurant. So you have a, you have an opportunity. I think it's an opportunity. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And then it also shows them that there is a, you know, a market for it that they maybe should make some more dishes that are, you know, purely plant-based or whatnot, that there are people who want them.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a whole other conversation because what restaurants could do differently, it, I, I I wish more vegans started businesses and consulting businesses or just advocacy around restaurants because there yeah. there's a lot of data, first of all, that really show, especially now, and I think things are getting more sophisticated and I hope they will continue to, but there's a lot of data that suggests that restaurants can do very small things to encourage more orders for plant-based meals. Mm. And some of it has to do with just not calling it vegan, not yes. having a separate <laughs> vegan menu. Not, <laughs> yeah. Even though we're excited, like we're like, oh my God, there's a whole No, whole I totally agree with I don't that. like when mm-hmm. there's a separate vegan menu yeah. because I want yeah. non-vegans to see what's available. Just put it
0: on there. Don't
1: call it vegan. Don't call it vegan burger. Don't even call it veggie burger, but call it something like, you know, fabulous grain-based burger. Um, Call it, you know, call
0: it the good burger. burger. That's what one of our place, one of our restaurants calls it the good burger. Exactly.
1: That's exactly (laughs) right. And so that's the kind, those are the kinds of things that restaurants can do because, and they see the increase in the sales of those products. When they just say vegan, they think that they're, it's only for vegans. And they see that as a very yeah. small niche audience and they're not going to make money off of that. And so they see that they're kind of catering, but they're not really taking it seriously. But if they just change a couple things, you know, l- like we just talked about, they actually see an increase in sales. And so there's That's a lot so of opportunity true. to work with restaurants to help them understand what they could do better.
0: Mm-hmm. Because it's all this, I mean, these are, th- it's just like, you know, you meet someone and and they find out that you don't eat meat and they're like, well, what do you eat? And you're like, well, what well, do you eat? <laughs> bananas and lentils and all these things. You're like, well, you know, there's like 20,000 edible plants. Like I'm not, I'm fine. I'm doing fine. And, but I, as far as like calling it something, I made a lentil loaf last year for either Thanksgiving or Christmas and bless his heart. My husband was calling it. He was like, he was so excited about it, but he was like, this is a vegan loaf. And I was like, just call it a lentil loaf. (laughs) And my brother already had this weird look on his face, you know, like, oh, okay, I'll try it. But if you just call it a lentil loaf, I don't think, you know, people already go into it like with a preconceived notion that it's not going to taste good or something. And it's like, it's just lentils. You you Don't you like lentils or don't you like chickpeas? Like these are not things that you haven't eaten before. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? But
1: framed in that way, it's exactly what makes people yeah. say I don't want to because there's been a notion that that it's only for vegans or it's yeah. not going to taste good. and And that's why – I mean, I just did a podcast episode that – that is titled when vegan should, should not use the word vegan. And there's a lot of examples when uh, we don't need to use the word uh, vegan. And that's when it backfires. And I tell parents that who are, or anybody partners who are introducing more plant foods into their families, don't. Sit them down to dinner and say, like, this is a new vegan meal, and I know you've been invited. It's going to be fabulous, and it's vegan. Like, just serve them the food and they'll eat it. And if they ask what it is, oh, it's the good burger, right? It's a good burger, yeah, it's yeah. lentil, whatever. Like, that's yeah. the idea is to make it familiar and not make it seem like it's a special category.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Somebody else was talking about this the other day that they did that to their in laws, that they their in laws came to town and they just made a delicious meal, didn't say anything about it. Just put it on the table and everybody ate it. And then later though, I think the, the father-in-law was like, so there wasn't any meat in that. And she was like, no. And he was like, hmm. That was good.
1: <laughs> I think, I think you know? vegans are afraid that they're not going to demonstrate, have the opportunity to demonstrate that See, you didn't need meat and dairy and eggs to make it delicious. And so I think there's an, mm. an eagerness to want to they're characterize excited. it that mm. way so that people know that it's vegan, but there's ways to do that. And that's, that's one way I always do it is first to serve it. And then later the last what it is and that, and that way mm-hmm. they don't have the preconceived notion when they're, tasting it because there's a lot of evidence also that what we call food, um, you know, like like our experience of food begins before we eat it. And so if Mm, we're mm, making it feel really uh, unfamiliar for people or, you know, just weird or different, they're less inclined to eat it. But if we just say, here's some good food, they'll eat it. And then later we can have the conversation. And then then that whole bias is already passed.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because then they're just using their senses of like smell and and whatnot, as opposed to, you know, in their mind. Yeah. yeah. Thinking of it as being ugh, something yeah. weird. So what do you think the biggest myth around veganism mm. is?
1: Um, biggest myth. I mean, obviously the nutrients continue to be the single mm-hmm. nutrients.
0: Yes. Definitely yeah.
1: continue. Yeah. Protein. For sure. <laughs> I mean, the first podcast episode yeah. I did 14 years ago was where to you get your protein
0: because wow. Yes. Uh, still people have not gotten that i message. Know. <laughs> i think it's
1: slowly starting to change it but it informs yeah, sure. government policy it informs so much i mean but that i think is changing i mean we're seeing changes in even the usda and how they're characterizing the nutrition standards not calling it meat but rather calling them like i i think it's great we need I I still think we're obsessed with single nutrients, but I'd rather people talk about protein rather than meat. Because then if you're talking about protein, then Mm -hmm. there's lots of Mm -hmm. categories of foods that are high protein. You know, I mean, every food has protein, but have higher protein um, content. So that I'm encouraged by. And I'm also seeing more around, uh, yeah, just like people kind of understanding that these nutrients come from other places. So I think it's slowly... Changing, and that just takes time, and it takes you know a new zeitgeist, but I do think I think it's happening
0: mm-hmm. yeah, well, and I think it helps that there are more you know um vegans or plant based people just in the united States in the world in general, and so let's say you know you have your social circle, so you're having you know you're reaching out to however many people you know, and they're seeing like oh wow, she's not malnourished or, and then they have questions and then you can, you can answer them when they're like, so where do you get your protein? And you can say, well, you know, and then you can explain. And so then it kind of just like extends outward, you know, for sure.
1: I think it's all of us. I think it's also the commercial products and the sophistication of the yeah, marketing. Yeah. Uh, it's that, you know, and, and I have to be honest, they're mostly marketing to non-vegans. So it's.
0: Yeah. And I think it's great. I mean, yeah, people ask if I, what I think about, you know beyond impossible burger i I'm like i think they're great i mean i don't necessarily want to eat them but i think they're awesome yeah they're
1: they're you know they're it's the non vegans that are driving that market and i know vegans right. you know we want to take credit for it and we're part of it but we're not the reason <laughs> that they're so successful right. those companies wouldn't survive if it yeah. was if they were just counting on vegans and for example you just said it right. you're not going to buy it so speaking- i don't
0: i mean yeah. i've had them yeah. i've tried them but i mean i'm not going to that's not going to be something that I'm excited to have like every week. It's not going to be like, oh, I'm going to have a Beyond Burger this, For this sure. Friday. For you sure, know? that's <laughs> my point.
1: Is that vegans are not yeah. driving the market? <laughs> um, yeah, because yeah, vegans totally. will Say they yeah. don't buy them. So, so, and then they get grumpy that yeah. they're uh, catering to non-vegans. Well, what do you want? Like,
0: what? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. because yeah.
1: because people want to feel that they're ex- they're a part of this exclusive club, and 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 vegans are guilty of that as well. So, I think that's also driving the 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 message that obviously you don't need uh, animal meat for for protein and and obviously the Mm -hmm. milks i mean the the non-dairy milk industry is crushing the dairy industry and so i think i think things are changing and i think things are turning and uh, i think we'll see a lot more over the next couple years and decades i'm i'm encouraged by
0: that oh i'm super excited Um, what, what is your take? I've listened to a Rich Roll podcast with, um, I can't think of what his name is, but it's about clean protein, clean meat. Do you know about that? So so Paul Shapiro? Oh yeah. Is that who it was? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. What do you think about that? I'll read
1: the book wrote the oh I, I'm a huge fan. Yeah, I actually awesome. I actually don't really have any interviews on my podcast except for one with Paul. Oh wow uh and one other person cool. um, talking about meat. Yeah. Uh so yeah I mean again what's the goal? The goal is to reduce the number of animals being raised and killed for human consumption. Mm-hmm. And if we could have slaughter free meat, uh, because people still want actual animal flesh and not just right. uh even even animal even plant-based meat made from plants they want actual animal flesh and if they could have that without animals being slaughtered i absolutely think that people will buy it and get behind it and i have absolutely uh, no no quandaries about it at all i think it's that super exciting sense. i just think they have to get it the problem of course is the government subsidies and the buyback oh, yes. that make the feed for the animal um, right. for the animals, the livestock, so cheap so that they can make so that you could pass by a KFC and it could say a dollar ninety nine of you know bucket of chicken wings. Isn't that crazy? If they we're paying the true cost of of that of those products, most people wouldn't buy them. And so the the real challenge for these companies is not the technology. It's not the Availability of the 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 spices and the flavors and the foods and all yeah. of that, uh, it is the is getting them to a price point where yeah. your average person is going to buy them.
0: Yeah, I think on that interview he said it was like you know twelve hundred dollars for basically like one bite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that
1: was the initial. Yeah. Uh, that was the the the, the um, prototype. But yeah, it, yeah, they, they I mean, brought it down since then. But it's still. I mean, obviously, there's a long way to go. But there right. are so many wonderful, innovative smart people working on those technologies. And I, I just give them all the, Oh credit. yeah. They, oh, I'm, I'm so excited. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm mostly, well, I'm excited for a lot of reasons for that to happen. And then also because I, earlier before we started recording, we were talking about our cats and I have two kitties and mm-hmm. obviously, you know, they're obligate carnivores and I, they have to eat meat. So obviously I feed them meat. So if I had clean meat to give them, that would be, awesome (laughs) exactly and I know there's
1: some folks there's folks working on it all the time so I'm I'm encouraged by that because I also have two kitties of my own and two foster kitties right now and
0: so you have four kitties right there
1: right so I tried to to say two and two so it didn't sound like I had four
0: (laughs) cat lady (laughs) okay we
1: have the the foster kitties are separate from oh, um, yeah. my and my kitties yeah. so that adds in just yeah. another component of me needing to come into the room and spend right. time with these too, and then make sure my kitties don't feel yeah. neglected but they've been here for a while now and We're in a routine, and they're great kitties. And so if anybody's listening in in Oakland, California, and you're looking for two fabulous bonded brothers, I've got the two
0: cats for you. Oh, my gosh. Do you always foster? Do you foster often? No, this is
1: new. I volunteer for a cat rescue organization, so I socialize cats once a week. And these were two who – they have such a fantastic story. They were actually um, born and they were in Lebanon, in Beirut. Wow. And there was an American working there, and she saw their mother killed by a car, (gasps) And she rescued these two little kittens and their brothers, and uh, and they made their way to Oakland, California with Maine Coon adoptions. They're not Maine Coons. Maine Coon adoptions. um rescues it's from the high shelters yeah. and they do many, much more than Maine Coons, but, right. um, so they were in a, you know, they were in a large cage, but a cage. And so I was socializing them for, I mean, they, they didn't need much. They, they're fabulous cats, but I would, oh. we're called kitty cuddlers. So I was cuddling oh. them once a week. And when I was able to, I just said to my husband, like, I just, I really want to give them a chance to just thrive in a home situation. And, uh, and so we said we would do it temporarily, and we. And they were adopted, but it wasn't the right fit. So we actually Mm -hmm. took, got them back. And we were only able to do that because he broke the contract by letting them out. He was with, they were with him for five days and he was already letting them outside. So we were able to legally get them back. And so now they're back with us. And now it's a little open-ended. Originally, I, my husband agreed two weeks and now (laughs) it's kind of open-ended, but I'm confident. I think the the adoptions are slow right now, but I'm confident these 2 they they're, They're really fabulous cats and I, I'm grateful I can do this, but it's hard because I'm also emotionally, you know, attached to them, but I just, that's why I have to call them my foster cats because I have to stay in that mentality of I'm here to help them thrive so that they can find the best home when the time is right. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm
0: -hmm. I do think fostering would be hard. (laughs) It's hard. Yeah. I love all little creatures. (laughs) I know. It's hard. Um, So yeah. So uh, Obviously, you wrote, you've written a lot of books. Yeah. Like, I don't even know. This is my seventh. Yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. So, this is your seventh book, and it's called The Joyful Vegan How to Stay Vegan in a World That Wants You to Eat Meat, Dairy, and Eggs. So, obviously, you were inspired by this from all of your talks and experiences, I suppose.
1: For sure. I mean, I've been doing this work for 20 years and I've heard yeah. from just so many different people about their struggles and challenges. And of course, we all know all of the people who stopped being vegan. Uh, we know it anecdotally. And we also know the people who just aren't. not thriving. I mean just th- and I don't mean right. health-wise. I mean literally emotionally and mm-hmm. socially. And so I wrote this book based on data, based on my observations, based on my experiences and based on the thousands and thousands of of letters and emails I've received over the 20 years I've been doing this to identify what those challenges are and be able to give people the solutions to overcome them.
0: Wow. So you can order it now, right? I mean it's on yes. Amazon and everything. Yes. Awesome. Yes. Cool okay dope uh well and also do you have any the holidays are coming so do you have any tips for people who are if they are vegan or plant-based to try to be to stay on the wagon (laughs) well yeah i mean i really
1: so obviously in terms of you know i mean thanksgiving luck it's pretty much plants. The only thing that's too. really meat based is that poor turkey sitting in the center of the table. Uh, but honestly, everything else. So, I mean, I encourage people to, you know, to just work with your family, talk to them and say, look, I love your mashed potatoes, but can you use this non dairy butter and this non dairy milk instead of the dairy based milk and the dairy based butter? We still have mashed potatoes. It's just. Everybody can eat them this way. Stuffing, you know, same thing. Can we use, you know, vegetable broth instead of uh, chicken broth or whatever it is? And the rest is, you know, bread and carrots and onions and celery. Uh, You know, can we – I talk a lot about – Again, remember I said the experience of eating happens long before you actually eat the food. And one -hmm. of the challenges I think people have is that they imagine a plate of food and then they imagine that meat being taken away and they see this gaping hole. And Mm. so what is happening there is you've lost a focal point, you've lost a center, you've lost that. So what I encourage people to do is put back that focal point and one, you know, so think of all the ways you can create a focal point, especially around the holidays. And that could go for the centerpiece on the table as well. So especially around the holidays, what are some beautiful focal points? S- you know, a stuffed squash, an acorn squash mm-hmm. that's stuffed or a butternut squash, beautiful, gorgeous, seasonal, autumnal, beautiful. and stuff it with whatever you want. I mean, there's like a million recipes out there to go find oh, yeah. great nut, yeah. grain, lake, whatever uh, stuff. I have one on my
0: website, if anybody there wants to There you one. go. There
1: you go. <laughs> right. So so ac- acorn squash. It could be a polenta where you cut it into squares. You cut it into mm. shape. It could be uh, it could be something like a uh, a timbali, for instance, where it's you know kind of this nice grain like a risotto. Like you do a butternut mm. squash risotto, right? Butternut squash sage risotto, and mm. you make that. But you put each of them into a ramekin. And so the serving could be in the ramekin and that's a centerpiece, or you can turn it around and upend it and then lift up the ramekin and you've got this mold, which would be a timbali. Mm. And then you've got, again, a centerpiece and then you put some sage on the top or some herbs on the top. And how pretty is that? You could do it with tofu. You could do it with seitan. You could do it with tempeh, Uh, but there's all these other ways that you could do that. The point is create a focal point around which everything else is, is, is formed. And then you don't feel like there's anything missing on your plate because I don't think it's the meat. I think it's the focal point. And so those are just some tips I give to people around the holidays for creating this beautiful centerpiece, this beautiful meal, this beautiful plate that makes people go, oh my gosh, that looks beautiful. And that's familiar and, uh, and nothing's missing.
0: Yeah. That's a great idea. That's a Super great idea. Yeah. (laughs) Well, what about for us who have to experience, um, Thanksgiving, where there is, you know...
1: The poor birds sitting um, in the middle of the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. one
0: thing I talked
1: about. Uh, <laughs> so again, all this so much, and you know, in the joyful vegan, one 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 of the chapters is specifically on communication. Another chapter mm-hmm. is on coming out vegan. So a lot of it's around communication and relationships. And so one of the things I talk about again, just we need to hone our communication skills, is mm-hmm. talking to our family, telling them how much it means to us, why we're vegan, why we're plant based, whatever it is, why it means so much to us, and and give them the opportunity to understand that it's not about them. It's not an attack on them. This is more of an embracing of our values than it is an attack on theirs and be sincere about that. And so they actually Mm -hmm. understand that it's painful, that it's hurtful, that it's sad. When we come and we see this carcass because we know what happened for that carcass to get there. So first of all just being honest and open and explain that before that day, don't do it on Thanksgiving. Mm. Do it yeah. for that day. <laughs> so now is a good time to start talking to our family members about that. But I do think there's also other ways ways to compromise in addition to asking them to not put animal products in the typical dishes they would normally make for that meal. And one of those things is compromise and I think that means something like, "Hey, I don't want to miss Thanksgiving. I love you. You're my family. I want to be here. That means a lot to me because this holiday is about community and family and generosity and gratitude. And that's what I want. That's what I want to celebrate with you. Can we not have the turkey? On the table. Can you? I know you still want to serve turkey to everybody else and Aunt Joe and Aunt Mm -hmm. Polly or whoever, right? But can you, can we, can we make some kind of compromises so that it doesn't feel so painful and so like so sad for me the whole time I'm sitting there? And to be honest, it kind of smells bad, like whatever you want to say. Can you put it in the kitchen so people can still get their? turkey if that's what you need to do. And 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 everybody gets what they need. Those are some compromises that we might be willing to make and they might be willing to make, but that only happens if we communicate. So I would say to people, think about what the challenges are. You don't have to not go to your family's Thanksgiving. You don't have to be angry the whole time. You don't have to pout. Uh, you don't have to feel resentful. Are there ways you could identify what the pain points are and then talk And then talk to our family members about about how we can work together.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely the communication is a key aspect of not sitting there sulking and being sad or (laughs) upset the whole time. Okie doke. Well, thank you so much for being on my show. It's been uh, really awesome.
1: Thank you. It's been great chatting with you. I really enjoyed our conversation.
0: Yeah. So other than obviously you have the book that's out now, Um, any other things in the works for the future?
1: I always have things in the works. I don't stay still very often. Um, Yeah, what am I – I mean, so one thing that I have coming up in 2020, which I'm really excited about, is a day-long online conference. I've done uh, in-person conferences in the past, but this is an opportunity for people to spend the day with me and hopefully hundreds of other people from around the world because it's all online. And that's in February, so people can join that conference at Joyful Vegan. Dot com. That's where they can find everything, the book, the conference. Um, and then I've been doing these these great trips, working with some travel partners of mine. So if people are interested in going on a fabulous vegan trip, especially to places that aren't necessarily vegan friendly, we create an amazing itinerary. We've already done Vietnam. We've done Thailand. We've wow. done different parts of France. We have another one coming up in the south of France in the summer of 2020. So people can definitely go and uh, and learn about that. We sold out of Botswana um, wow. We just did two back-to-back trips to Rwanda. So, oh my uh, gosh, yeah, they're they're really incredible, and uh, it really is about creating the you know abundance and joy. And we take care of all the itinerary, all the food, and uh, and we do uh, different things that support animal protection in the areas we go to. So, in the south of France, in the Dordogne region. Uh, we're going to the first European elephant sanctuary. Uh, and then of course we just really enjoy the culture and the people in the areas that we're in, but the South of France is not the easiest place to especially order out. If you're at restaurants, it's, you can do it by, (laughs) you know, renting your own place and going in, um, the markets, but to go yeah. out to eat in the South of France, it's, it's not, it's not easy. They put duck yeah. fat in, you know, every vegetable. And so, oh, um, yeah. so, so those, those are the things that I'm really excited about. And people can find that at, uh, CPG for my initial CPG trips.com, uh, and, uh, and just, and just check out the trips we've got coming up. So, so that's the stuff that I'm always working on. I've always got books in my head. I've always got, um, talks that I'm giving in my podcast and people can find all of that on my website.
0: Yeah. And then your Instagram. Instagram. At joyful Vegan. Joyful Vegan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then you have tons, I mean, awesome videos on YouTube. So, you. yeah. Well, I appreciate all the work that you have been doing and are doing for the animals and the environment and obviously the people. So thank you so much. <laughs>
1: thanks, Rebecca.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah. And thanks for being on. And until next time, peace and plants. She awesome. I obviously am uh, inspired by her and her activism and her just platform that she's had for over 20 years and look forward to hopefully being that way. (laughs) Um, I have been a plant-based vegan for going on four years, I think. I think this will be my fourth holiday, which is kind of like... um, I guess, an anniversary, uh, an easy way for us who are, you know, in this lifestyle to kind of, um, remember how long we've been doing it because each, I mean, the first holiday, of course, that we were in this lifestyle, this realm, uh, that is different from the way most of us have grown up. It was, um, kind of scary, but each year gets easier and each day gets easier, um, As far as like the social, you know, aspect of it, but you know, other than that, I mean, I can't, I cannot imagine not being this person who I am now, who I've always was meant to be. You know, I was meant to live my life day to day with what aligned with my soul, and that is that I care for all creatures, I care for all beings, and you know, like I've said before, it doesn't matter if you're an animal lover or not. I mean, I personally have always been. But you don't have to be. I mean, there's lots of really big animal rights activists activists out there right now who are very open with saying that they did not care about animals really before. But when they learned about the industry, that's when it really kind of solidified, like, what am I doing? Like, you know, even if I don't love these creatures, I don't want them to be harmed like this. This is just wrong. And then once they've been around them more going to sanctuaries and whatnot, they have grown to love them. And I think that You know, it's just kind of like the golden rule Um, treat others as you would like to be treated. And I think that should and should always extend to all beings, not just humans. You know, we treat our cats and our dogs with respect, hopefully. Uh, Most of us, I would say. So I think we should be able to, you know, extend that love and compassion to all. So I hope y'all enjoyed that interview. I certainly did. Like I said, I just feel more inspired talking to others who are just as excited about this lifestyle as I am for whatever purposes that is, whether it's the health, the animals or the planet. But I really truly believe that when we learn all of the aspects and all of the reasons why this is the way to be a plant-based vegan, then your commitment and your um, dedication will be stronger than ever. So as always, thank you so much for tuning in. If you have been enjoying these podcasts, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share. You can follow me on Instagram at The Refined Hippie or on my website, TheRefinedHippie.com. You can also sign up for my newsletter on my website. I am sending out secret quote-unquote recipes every month. So these are ones that will not be shared on my website, they're only for newsletter subscribers. So you can also leave me a tip from Tip Link, which is on my website. There's a little gold icon on the bottom right-hand corner, or also when you scroll down, when you sign up for my newsletter, there's a little gold button that says support. So you can support me that way. It's kind of like, instead of having subscriptions, like there are some platforms out there that do that, this is just how much, how little, whenever you want. So check that out. You can learn more at tippalink.com. And until next time, my lovely, lovely friends, peace and plants.